You're listening to 101.9 FM KPCRLP Santa Cruz. Hi, I'm Matthew Spector, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Matthew Spector. His latest book is called Always Crashing in the Same Car on Art, Crisis, and Los Angeles, California. Matthew, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I just was listening to you say that the full title of the book, which is which is a quite a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, it, it felt really good. It rings. It, it it flowed off the tongue. I didn't think it was a mouthful. It felt it felt like rhythmic. How, like when you came up with that title, where did you were you saying it out loud? Were you trying to figure out the? No, the subtitle was you know obviously the 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 title of the book, the name of the book itself, always crashing in the same car, is it taken from a David Bowie song, as I, as I would expect that many people. Oh, I didn't know, know that. What what song? Yeah. It's the song is called "Always Crashing in the Same Car." Oh, um, really? I just yeah. I just got into David Bowie like three years ago. Yeah, and I, yeah. I got I got like I was getting as many records as possible, and he was on my um, he was on my uh, phone when I was in New York, and it, uh, Aladdin Sane and um, the one that uh, Brian Eno. Um, well, he probably, Brian Eno did a, did a batch. He did Low, which is what always yeah, Low, Low, Aladdin, Sane, and Low were yeah. my more my New York subway soundtracks as I was pushed up against other people so uncomfortably on the L train to get to where I needed to go every day for a while. Anyway, yeah. and I saw David Bowie in 1990, and I didn't know I didn't know anything about him yet, and I was the asshole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, no one is no one is ever an asshole for 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 not having discovered an artist yet. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the world of, of music and literature and film is so enormous that, um, um, you know, I mean, I, I think sometimes, particularly with a book like this one, that's so full of, you know, all of those things. And, you know, people will sort of be like, man, you know, you, you, you sure seem to have read and watched a lot. And I'm like, the, you know, the, the drop of my knowledge compared to the ocean of my ignorance is, is you know, it's ridiculous. I, I love... You know, I, I think because I used to be a college radio DJ, I was with I was a snotty nosed. I know everything. What? You're not on sub pop singles of the month club. I don't even know what kind of person you are and how you can be in my life. And then there's just a beauty to going, oh, wait, I don't know anything. And then we become a sponge. Yep. Yep. And uh, the, you really you really aged us both there. I was like, we're, we're you know, just a pair of Gen Xers with the sub pop singles club. I, was like, <laughs> I saw your immediate like, I know exactly what that is. I, you know, when I'm when I'm when I do, you know, when I do my teaching and stuff, I'll throw references like that. And I'll just see all these eyes look at me like he was in a there was a uh, that that record label had a dating app. You know, it's just I'm like, yeah. anyway, but always crashing in the same car. I thought you were a genius for the title, but now it's David Bowie's the genius, and you, David and you Bowie's borrowed the genius Bowie's. for that title. And I, you know, the, the obviously the the within the context of the book, the metaphor I, hopefully comes to make its own kind of independent kind of sense. But then we had to subtitle it. That was that was my my publisher and my agent were like, you know, you re, you really should give it a subtitle, um, so that people in stores will have a sense of what they're what they're what they're looking at. Um, so you know, we spent there was a lot of kind of kind of foofing around to sort of figure out like on, you know, always crashing in the same car, colon, what? Right. Uh, and I think- Did it start know, out with colon, what? No, it just, <laughs> there was a lot of, but there was a lot of, you know, like, well, you know, like 
there were words that we wanted to leave out of it. I won't say what they are, but you know, there are things that I just thought, well, it'd be a little narrowing to say, you know, uh, the movies or Hollywood or, you know, when, when the book right. has a wider scope than, than either of those things. Um, and, uh, and so that's where we landed and, uh, and I can live with it. I had one, I had one friend, uh, one writer I really respect who was like, who was like, I hate your subtitle, man. And I was like, can't do anything for you there. Really? I, I think it's, I like it because it, it's, it encompasses what's the, what's in the book. Well, yes. I mean, in some level it's like, those are, <laughs> those are the concerns, or at least those are a couple of the concerns. Those are some of the primary ones. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm so used to writing fiction where, you know, and like a novel has a novel has a title and, and, you know, you, you kind of question that title or you often get pushback on that title or, you know, you, you call a book one thing and then your publisher says, we can't call it that. But, um, but, you know, but the, but the title is, is a kind of, it's like a proper name. Nobody asks you to justify it. You know, in the end, it's like, this is the name of my novel. Right. This is the, this is the this is the name of my child, um, so you know. Looking in this case for for something that would offer the reader a little a little elucidation as to what was inside it uh, was um, was an interesting bonus feature. You so I um, the divorce. You you are so open about the divorce and so self aware. Were you as self aware when the divorce was happening? Yes. I mean, really? Look, oh yeah. my God. I wish I was when I had my divorce. That's I, I, I have, you know, this is, there are a few things about that because I think there's, there's, you know, the, for those who are listening and don't know, you know, one of the many strands of the book involves a divorce and, and um, certainly in the writing of this book, it was important to me. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of notion of my marriage imploded, you know, because my wife or, or not because, but my marriage imploded uh, contemporaneously with my wife, my ex-wife having an affair. Um, and I think, um, you know, A, even at the time that it was happening, I was sort of very conscious of the fact that like, well, this marriage is not, not working, not working for me, not working for her. Um, you know, the, the moment that, that, you know, that sort of became highlighted, <laughs> I thought, you know, like, well, you know, someone, we, someone always has to do the work of, of getting out of it. And, uh, and I wasn't doing that work. So, so my ex did the work and, you know, and she was someone that, that even through, even through the divorce that, you know, kind of, um, I mean, I guess you would have to call it, you know, betrayal of the terms of the marriage. It just didn't seem, it seemed like I understood it on some level. I really did understand it. And, um, but also within the context of writing this book, it was very important to me not to write a book about a middle-aged man's divorce. Like that doesn't, you know, I, I mean, I think that um, uh, a book I read recently, it's very good, uh, Gina Frangelo's book, uh, you know, Blow Your House Down, which mm -hmm. is, you know, written from the, the, the point of view of, of the woman, the, the, the you know, the, the adulterous woman deciding to, to, you know, to tear her marriage apart. Like that to me is a, is a much more interesting, um, is a much more interesting take. Uh, simply because I think, you know, that story uh, doesn't get told. <laughs> and I right. think women, women are still somehow ex expected to do kinds of emotional labor. Like there is, there is a level on which, you know, I respected my ex for doing it because, you know, because I think it caused her pain to do it. And, wow. you know, it caused me pain, but it also caused her pain. And it's like, and on some level it was like, you know, 
Like, why didn't I have the, why didn't I have the stand up to be like, this isn't working. We should split. Yeah. You know? Right. I get that on so many levels because that's how my, my that's how my marriage ended too. I that was, um, I was being cheated on and it blew my mind and I was really upset at the time, but it took some hindsight to go, wait a second, take a step back. I, and I ended up having gratitude for it. I was like, she's the one who actually took action when I didn't. And it, it, it was, it was, I, I look back and I'm like, it was wonderful. And, you know, kind, kind of like good on her. Right. It meant it meant everything was going that way. And I wasn't, and I didn't do my part in going, you know, either fixing it or, or, or uh, going, you know, making a decision. So, right. Right. But what I think, you know, I, I think, I think that, um, you know, I, I grew up when, when, when my parents were divorced in the, in the early eighties, um, you know, that generation of sort of American divorces was, was much more acrimonious. I, I think there was a sort of classic constellation and, you know, and that shows up in the book too, not just in parts where I'm writing about my parents, but when I'm writing about Eleanor Perry and Frank Perry and there, you know, and, and, um, I was just thinking about last night, the, this kind of strange genre of like divorce movies that cropped up right around 1980, right? I mean, everybody remembers Kramer versus Kramer, but that's, like, a, that's the one that just came to my head. <laughs> were, but the thing that's weird is that there were like a ton of them. There was like Shoot the Moon with Albert Finney and Diane Keaton. Um, there was An Unmarried Woman with Jill Clayburgh. There was a, a one called Starting Over with Burt Reynolds, like Burt Reynolds, the like sad sack divorce lonely single dad in in new york city like it was like it was like a like an epidemic of these movies um which is like kind of hilarious and bizarre it's 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 basically like that generation of like filmmakers and actors and producers like all all turned 40 all bailed out of their marriages and then just decided like yeah let's make let's make movies about about our our kind of like you know really very routine suburban failures um, you know, in the end. And I, th and I do think, you know, that's one, one reason I probably the primary reason this book is a memoir, but it's also, you know, kind of constantly interrogating other people's stories and, and, you know, in many ways, in many ways, much more focused on those stories than it is on my own, because I just, um, I just feel like the kind of fundamental, like the, the, the kind of the notion that I would kind of try to centralize my really very routine suffering in this book, right? That the things that are underlying the narrator's experience in the book are, are, are pretty basic, right? Divorce, child custody stuff, uh, you know, a dying parent, uh, you know, work woes. It's like, you know, like to, to kind of whine about any of those things from my perspective would be unseemly, but to, but at the same time, like, you know, that's, that's, that those are experiences that everybody has and, and everybody, you know, or almost everybody and, and everybody knows how, how painful they are um, individually, you know, let alone when they kind of pile up on top of each other and, and to be able to kind of use that as a lens for looking out at, at other people's stories um, that, that was appealing to me. But, and it makes so much sense because I think we're always trying to put ourselves into context and right. in order to put ourselves into context, we look, well, we'll look at our peer group, but we also look at things like film and sure. music. And it's, and it's, it's interesting how you brought in those things okay, to put yourself into context I, in a way. I, yeah, I, don't want to throw I, I mean, I, I mean, I think those are, you know, those are, those are the things that we use to, you know, to, 
to render our own experience legible. Like, it, it, you know, it would be completely illegible without the kind of, you know, I mean, anything in the world would be illegible without the kind of mirroring experience of, of you know, of, of other people. Yeah. <laughs> and knowing, you know, that, that what you're going through isn't, isn't, you know, some kind of like idiosyncratic, you know, um, you know, freakish event, but, but a sort of very, very common human experience, of course. Yeah. And, the, and I, and I came to LA with this notion that being a screenwriter would be the greatest thing on earth ever to do because uh -huh. everything comes your way. You get the pool in the hills, you get it. And, you know, for me, it was very different, but I feel like I did everything wrong at the same time. But <laughs> it's like, I got to put a, I got to put a book out there of what not to do, what I did and what you shouldn't do. But, um, but yeah, but it's just like, I, I love these stories of context of screenwriting careers. Like, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which are, which are very strange and troubled careers. I think even at their, even at their very best, they seem, they seem difficult. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I came at it in a book also, I think makes this kind of clear, like in a way that was very backwards in that, you know, I, my mom was a screenwriter. I knew a lot of screenwriters, you know, just growing up, a, a lot of the adults around, around me were screenwriters and some of them were enormously successful. Um, but they all seem to be, you know, frequently in a state of either panic or, or sort of, you know, despair, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and 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 so I, I never really wanted to do that, and and I think you know even in the context of the book, it's like the the screenwriting I have done, which I, I consider myself fortunate to to have those jobs when when they come my way. It's like it's I don't, but it's but it's you know I also find it difficult, less fulfilling than than writing a, a book by far, and you know maybe I would feel differently if something I had written were to be picked up and 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 made and made well and made successfully but it's like each one of those hoops is higher than the next like it is it is it is very 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 hard to sell something as a script right you know sell a screenplay or sell a pitch and, and get paid to be a screenwriter right even just to become a wga member is like an enormous accomplishment and then you know to write a good script that's much much harder um to get a good script produced is like, I mean, I've, I've come very, very close a number of times, but it's like that, that has never happened to me. That seems like the Holy grail. But then of course, when that, once that happens, there's the question of getting it produced well. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and then you have the, the, the probability of either making a good movie that, that, that nobody sees or uh, you know, a good movie that, that, that fails commercially and then you get blamed for it. It's like, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, you know, and, and uh, in my, you know, I mean, it's, again, it's like, you know, it would be if, if you were like uh, Scott Frank or like Richard Legravenes or, or one of those guys who's like a really, really, really good writer, right? A good, great screenwriter um, who has been lucky enough to see many, many, many great pieces of, you know, to see not only things get made, but like get made into movies that are actually good and successful. Like, even for them, I think, I think it's probably diff difficult more often than not. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 mind blowing. It's really mind blowing the pressure. Yeah. The the the, the pressure, and then because I didn't, you know, it's like I didn't understand the pressure, and then it's just like, oh wait, this this is heavy pressure because there's a lot of money involved. 
Yes. Which is, it's, it's just like, it's almost like starting a tech company. Every time you write a script, you're like, here's the new app. And we're yes. going to start a tech company. And it's just, yes. it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's bananas. It is bananas. And, and, and um, I mean, that is the thing about writing, about writing books <laughs> is that not that there's no pressure attached. Of course there is, but, but you know, the, 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 the expectations, the fiscal expectations are just not comparable. You know, they're, they're yeah. not. And, and, you know, I just sort of feel like the job of writing a book is to write the best possible book you can and hope that, that it collects readers and everything else, everything beyond that, right? Whatever kinds of like grander reward still even exist for writers um, seems, I mean, it's like, that's just kind of gravy <laughs> and it, you know, yeah. It is, it's, and it's, it's just funny because, you know, as I get older, well, we all, we're all getting older right now, even in this interview, we're aging. But, <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the thing about books and why I always come back to books is I for some reason books can get to my heart. You know, film gets to my heart, music gets to my heart, all of that stuff gets to my heart. But it's something about a book, a, a well-written book, where I just, I you know, I could put it, I could put it down on page eighty and come back to it. And on 81, I'm still in. If I'm watching a film that's actually, you know, that I, that's maybe even, you know, has Oscars, I could watch 20 minutes of it, come back to it about two days later and go, wait, what was the first act again? There, yes. There's, there's something that's just so cementing on our consciousness when we read. I'm starting. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, it's, it's, it is, I mean, obviously there are books that one reads in one sitting, but it is, it is a, there is a certain amount of discontinuity built into, our experience of it, you know, right. I mean, books that books that are long or, you know, even books that are short frequently are, are, are meant to be, uh, you know, read at, read at intervals, right. And kind of carried around. And I think, you know, kind of the great pleasure of, of, um, of, you know, being in a writing, a, reading a, a, a novel or a, or a long book that you care about is, you know, it's just the sense of being in, in conversation with it, of kind of caring, you know, of, of having it, kind of carrying around with you in your life which you know obviously you do in different ways with with music and with uh movies i mean i do but I, but i think um you know i think for me writing and reading achieves the kind of deepest level of of privacy um you know there's a there's a way in which you know music you experience with it, you're listening to it and everybody else who walks through is hearing it with you right uh you know movies same thing you're watching it but anybody else in the room is watching them you know it's, you're it's a it's a it's a communal experience it's kind of designed as a communal experience a book is designed as a as a as an individual experience um you know that that i mean you can you can share it by reading it aloud to someone but but most of the time we don't do that we experience it one-to-one -one. um and that's a you know that's a that's a very intense and i think like utterly invaluable thing in it, particularly in, in a kind of, um, you know, in, in the moment of sort of internet culture, which I'm not deploring, but it's like, you know, that's where your private self still lives. <laughs> it's, it's the, there's a, but like during the pandemic, you know, and I lived in a build, you know, I live in a building where they decided to just turn off the water and do construction for a day and turn off the power and read, you know, they were doing, and I'm just like, are you kidding me? I have to work from home. You guys are killing me here. We're, we're all stuck. We're in lockdown. 
But the beauty of it was I always had a book and a candle. And there's just something about that where it's just like, I don't need anything. I need fire for light. And yep. I have this book in my hand. Yep. Yep. It's really, uh, you know, that, that there's something about the, the pandemic and the lack, the lot, our sort of lockdown experience. I mean, obviously like certain amenities, like, you know, your record collection or your, your, you know, uh, your, the, you know, your streaming services also very important, but I do think, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of reading done in the last year and a half and, and reading of particularly like kind of long or, 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 you know, complex texts. Um, you know, it's like I read, I read, um, Gaddis's reread Gaddis's the recognitions over, over the last Christmas holiday. Um, you know, which is 1100 pages of, of, you know, extremely dense, you know, sort of, you know, either high. Do I have to read that? That you, 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 the way you just said it sounds amazing. It's gnarly, but it's but it is one of those things where I think you know it had been it had been a few years since I had kind of gone at you know Ulysses or yeah. you know that you know like or or you know Gravity's Rainbow or you know one of those kind of one of those books where you where it's like okay this is a the the project of of reading this book and the project of decoding it is you know is a very active process, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm uh, still on page 50 of Ulysses, but it's still bookmarked and I still, I'll still pick it up again. And even like, I, I never read crime and punishment and I'm, I've been reading that here and there for the last few months. Where crime, it's just and like, crime and punishment is, is rad. I mean, that, that's, yeah. you know, I, I, I think, um, the sort of uh, is, is rad. Uh, what a California. That, that's exactly what uh, Dostoevsky said. <laughs> I think. I think that you know, um, you know, kind of nineteenth-century texts. There was some. There was some. I, ca I caught some chatter on Twitter over the weekend where you know somebody had. Yeah, there, there's, there's, there's somebody will always say something like this. But you know, there was. So I couldn't find the original tweet, but it was. There were a bunch of people kind of abreacting to somebody who had called Moby Dick unreadable. Um, and, um, you know, it's like, I mean, if you've ever read Moby Dick, which, uh, you know, I have a, several times, it's, um, it's so, I mean, it's, it's not just readable, like, it's like, it's hilarious and startling and, and kind of like endlessly bizarre in this way that, you know, it's like you, you, um, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's an, it's exciting as hell. Um, but I think, um, you know, I think, I think for all of us, uh, you know, finding the, the sort of strength of concentration to grapple with longer and more sophisticated texts. I was worried on my own behalf, you know, there was a cup for the last couple of years. I was like, geez, can I still do that? Like if I, if I were to pick up like a late period, Henry James novel, like how long would I last before I was like, you know, like crawling across the room to find my phone. Um, so I think the pandemic kind of, kind of, uh, kind of reassured me a bit, at least of that, uh, if not of anything else. Yeah. It's, um, and it's just so funny going through those older, older stories. It's, it, it's almost like the, it's a continued mythology. Like even your book is a continued mythology into the, <clears throat> into the collective conscious. I'm sounding like a hippie and next breathe in, breathe out. Um, no, but it's, uh, it, it, it brings us to different times, completely different generations, but kind of the same problems. Sure. Well, yeah. because those problems don't, I mean, you know, the, the, 
the scale of the problems perhaps change um, and change drastically, right? I mean, I, again, my parents, <laughs> let alone my grandparents, um, you know, weren't thinking about climate change. They weren't thinking about uh, disinformation. They weren't thinking about global pandemics. I mean, maybe my, my, my grandparents or great grandparents would, my, my grandparents would have been old enough for, you know, for the existence of Spanish flu, but they would have been quite young. Um, and, um, you know, so the scale of the problems changes, but the, the nature of the problems, like the kind of the, the, the kind of more intimate problems of being a person, those things, they, they, they don't change. So, you know, like I think, and I, and I think, you know, particularly as one gets older, you know, I was, I was thinking this morning, um, I'm doing an event tomorrow night with, with Dana Spiota, um, who's an, an old friend of mine and wonderful novelist. We, we, but she and I went to high school together and she has a new novel out called Wayward that I think is quite wonderful. But I was thinking about how, how incredibly well Dana writes about like middle age and, and um, the, the kind of central character in her, in her book is, you know, menopausal or close to menopausal. And, and, you know, just the, the, the feelings of right, you know, there's this, just, just the idea that like, oh, you know, the, that book and this one, mine, are books that couldn't have been written by a younger person. They're, they're, they're really about, they're really about, you know, certain kinds of, of disappointment or, or, you know, um, disillusionment that you might, you might experience when you're younger. Like, I think, I think younger, I think readers who are younger will, will understand it, I hope. Um, and certainly it seems that that's the case, but, but that the kind of, you know, being able to write or being interested in writing a book of this kind would never have occurred to me when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I just, you just reminded me of probably about 15 years ago when, when all the hit, when all the hit authors, well, it felt like all the hit authors were their their books were about being in an ad agency and they were all in their twenties and they write about being in an ad agency. And I'm like, this is so boring. This means this, I don't get this at all. This means nothing to me. Maybe because I didn't have that type of existence. Cause I'm like, what? This is just corporate boring America. You're lucky you had a job. That's like, that's the end of the book for me. <laughs> I think I know who you just subtweeted there, Tony. <laughs> I am. Um, here's the thing. I mean, I think, um, you know, Don DeLillo. Oh, oh, oh I, I think you're probably, uh, I wasn't referring to your friend of that. We. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, 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 but I, I'm, I'm teasing you a little bit, but yeah, yeah. I think, but I think like, you know, when, when Don DeLillo was, I think he, Don DeLillo was 30 when he wrote his first novel, Americana, which is set at least to the beginning of that book is set at an ad agency and it's, <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm definitely of the impression that you can, you can write about, about anything, almost anything. And, and kind of squeeze, uh, you know, or, or not squeeze, but, you know, kind of discover value and meaning and kind of boundless, you know, human possibility in it. Um, you know, I think subject, we're, we're kind of in this moment now where like subject is so heavily weighted in, in our kind of um, assessment of books. And sometimes it's like, you know, there'll be this kind of like, oh, you know, this is a book that defines you know, this particular face of experience, right? Yeah, yeah. You'll sort of read the book and you'll be like, mm, it's kind of thin, dude. Um, and, um, you it's know- It's good on I, an airplane. <laughs> well, and I, I'm not that there too. I'm not, I'm not really looking to, to, you know, sort of insult any particular writer so much as- Well, I come am. on, let's insult a little bit. <laughs> what I am thinking is that, is that, you know, 
we value so much or we talk so much about like what a book is about. And I think, you know, and, and we need to do that because we're, we're kind of so overwhelmed with kind of information. And, and, you know, it's like, there's just so much stuff that it just, we, we need to be able to be like, oh, you know, this is that, and, and this is that, and this other thing is that thing, you know? So you kind of go like, oh, you know, like this is a book about Hollywood and the movies. And, um, and, you know, I'm, certainly kind of cognizant as I'm writing it, that it's not really about those things at all. Like it's, it's about, you know, kind of experiences that are much wider than that, um, hopefully. Um, but I, but I think, um, you know, I think that any, any book that I've really almost, almost every book that I've ever loved has kind of, I mean, really loved, like you'll all kind of wade into it. And I'll just be like, man, I didn't think this is, I didn't think this is what I was getting here at all. Um, you know, and, and, um, you know, I, I don't want to say, you know, great books transcend their subjects or whatever. I feel like it's very, it's very kind of hinky and questionable when you start talking about anything transcending anything else. But, but I think, you know, um, you know, good, great movies, great bands, great experiences of any kind are experiences that you walk into and you, you either have no idea what you're going to get, or you think you know what you're going to get. And what you get instead is, something where you just think holy fuck <laughs> you know yeah. those yeah. are the those are the beautiful ones right. i get you know that makes so much sense i remember i you know, we, oh yeah you lived in san francisco for a while um I certainly did yeah yeah I, li I lived in bernal heights so i'd walk by the knockout which used to be the odeon on uh, mission street near uh 30th emission i think but it was it was right around the corner from me and i would just walk by uh, at night and I would like walk by and I'd hear the band. I wouldn't know who was on the, I wouldn't know who it was. And I'd be like, I'd just back up. And I'd be like, that sounds good. Pay the cover charge, walk in. And I, and there were some bands I was just like, oh my God, just, I would not leave the place. It just blew me away. It wasn't my plan for the night. And it just means everything, you know? Yeah. It's the best. I mean, that experience is the best. Um, and that experience of being, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's always been a, a particular frustration for me in relation to the movies, you know, I, I allude in the book to a period where I was working in the, in the industry in the, in the nineties. And it was, that was a moment when I became very, very kind of acutely aware that, you know, that the trailer tended to overwhelm the movie, right. The trailer, the poster. And it's like, you know, where it was like the whole strategy was like, this is what you're getting. <laughs> and, um, and you, you know, would walk into a theater and you'd walk out and you'd go, yep. That's just what I thought I was getting. Um, and then every once in a while, something would, um, you know, something would, would confound you. I, I remember seeing uh, uh, Jerry Maguire. I'd, I'd, come out of a, I'd come out of a screening of a movie that I, that I really disliked. Um, and it was a movie that had been made by a company that I was working for. So I was like, you know, and I was sort of depressed. I was like, Jesus, like, this is what I'm doing with my time is working for a a company that makes stuff like this piece of garbage. And I, I was so depressed that I was like, I got to see another movie right away. And I, I, there was a, another theater like at the, on the opposite corner, this was like somewhere on the Upper East Side or Upper, yeah, Upper East Side. And I, I remember just walking over and just being like, oh, it's like, I guess Tom Cruise is in this movie. Like there's a photograph of the back of his head. Like I didn't know anything about that movie for whatever reason. Like I just, you, you know, the poster, the one sheet for that movie. It's like, it doesn't really give you anything. And, um, and I kind of walked in and sat down and I was like, this isn't, this is, you know, and I was not a great Tom Cruise enthusiast at the time, you know, I just, um, but I thought this is, 
This is pretty good. Um, It surprised me in a way that was so delightful. And it kind of made me feel like, oh, it's so rare. And it's, it's only gotten more rare, I think, now. Now, you know, now everything is, everything is kind of, you know, that we, we, we almost never hear about anything without somehow getting a kind of, a kind of freeze dried, uh, you know, kernel of what it is in full. Right. Um, and so I think, um, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing to, to, uh, have those experiences. They're harder and harder to come by. I, back when I was in San Francisco, I used to, um, cover the uh, film festivals and uh, the San Francisco International Film Festival. I, you know, I just stumbled on this. I didn't know that you can go to press screenings like six weeks before the festival. So what they used to do is um, six weeks before the festival started, they had two films every day at at 10 and one at the Kabuki Theater. And I rode my bicycle up there every day with my cup of coffee. And I would just watch every film that they had on offer because I couldn't believe I was watching films for free. And it was just like, and, but I didn't, I didn't want to know anything about them. And then the, and you go in some of the, you know, a lot of those were international films, films I would never have seen in my life. And yeah. you just, you walk away and it means so much to not know and just, just let it be, just go in there. And, you know, it's like, there's some films I've tried to track down. I don't even know. I don't even remember their titles, but I don't even know if they got a release on DVD or are streaming, you know, cause there's still, there's those films that still go into the darkness of never, ever seeing light of day. Yep. yep. You know, everyone yep. thinks, Oh no, they're all available. It's like, no, they're not all available. I, I think that the, the, um, the, I mean, this is the other thing about being, you know, kind of interested in, in film or music or, or literature too, is the, the effort you sometimes put into uh, searching for things, you know, I mean, obviously the, the internet, you know, again, this is, this is going back to the sub 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 pop singles club things, you know, it's like, I, you know, I can remember and you can remember too, that like, you know, you, you, you bought records or you bought CDs and that meant going to a store and, you know, you had to find things and some things were like hard to find or some things you'd read about and they'd only ever been bootlegged and you, you know, you couldn't hear them. Now, of course, you know, you can find almost anything on the internet, but there are still things that you can't find. I, I had been looking for the longest time to see this movie called stop by a, a writer director named Bill Gunn, who was a, um, who he was, Basically, I think the second, only the second black filmmaker ever hired by a by a major studio in 1970. Gordon Parks was right ahead of him, and then Warner Brothers ha- 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 hired Bill Gunn to to make this movie called Stop, which was apparently like it, like it wound up with like an X rating, and it like involves like w- kind of like wife swapping, like um, and it's like set in like Puerto Rico like it's really and it's just one of those things where I thought like how do I how am I ever going to see this movie like it's locked in the Warner Brothers vault like it's never been you know it's only been screened like four times or something in it's in its entire existence and it's like I finally found like a grainy internet stream of it um, but it was so it's, it's amazing but it's also just like the the satisfaction of having to having to dig a little bit to find um, you know a, a a piece of music or, or a film can be, can be really exhilarating. I mean, we're, we're never going to run out of like the one thing that my, you know, kind of more recent experience has taught me is we're never going to get to the bottom of all the great art that exists in the past. There will, there will always be more of that to disinter. And I think that for me, that keeps me alive 
that that that's that's everything yeah it's everything i mean not not that i'm not also interested in the great art of the present or the great art of the future well well even the yeah well i mean i was encompassing in my head i was encompassing that too because like sometimes yeah, sure. like, sometimes yeah. you just sit there and you go oh, you know i look at these kids you know they're 20 and they're doing something and i'm like oh the kids are all right <laughs> you know it's just like good oh, job you're going far dude of course i i think it's just there's a there's an archivist in me um or just you know or maybe it just has to do with the fact that like i'm i'm just you know, great art that is lost or that stands a risk of being lost, even good art that stands, even very good art that stands a chance of being lost. It's like, you know, there's something about rescuing that sort of stuff, pushing that forward again into circulation. You know, I think that's, that's a little bit my beat as a, as a reader, as a person, it's like, I'm always just, you know, crawling around for, you know, it's like, I get so much more excited about like, some writer that I, you know, some hearing about a writer that, that I, that I haven't read from, you know, 1958. Yeah. Contemporary stuff sometimes, um, you know, not, not to the exclusion of contemporary stuff, but it's like, that's where my, that's where my imagination gravitates, you know? Wait, it's, it's when I was, cause I didn't really, I didn't really like find books until I was in my twenties yeah. when I could finally read books. And, um, and I got, well, not because I couldn't, didn't know how to read. It was because I was no, in a weird religion that was putting a stop on anything that wasn't. I know. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember finding about that, um, that there was this beat generation and there was this book called On the Road by Jack Kerouac. And I called the library and I was just like, do you have a copy? You know, Burlingame, California. Do you have a copy of it? And they're like, it's not at our branch, but it's at our other branch. I called them and I'm like, what time do you close? And it's just like, the, you know, we close in a half hour and I didn't have a car. So I got on my skateboard and I skated as fast as I could to get to that library, to get on the road. You know, something that most people read a lot younger, but, sure. but it was just that experience of how I got it and then reading it and just, and then feeling like it spoke to me on a certain level. No, I mean, the, those, those experiences are, are, are scriptural. And, and also, I mean, I have to say, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I did not grow up within a, a restrictive religious situation, but you, you're, you're not nearly the, the, the only person or, or the only writer that I, that I know who, who did. Um, you know, and, and I think whether it's my, my, you know, I, I had an ex who was, a, who had grown up Orthodox, um, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, or, or you might, do you know that, that wonderful writer, Scott Cheshire, who wrote no, that? Well, horses, he, he was, the, he was a Jehovah's Witness. No uh, way. What's, what's yeah. the, what's the novel called again? The novel's called High as Horses Bridles. And I think okay. it was a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, I have to get in touch with him now. He, he's an amazing. He's an amazing dude. He's a great writer, and he's a, yeah. he's a great, a great person too. And it, would, and, and it shows in the it shows in the novel. Um, but you know, I, I think um, you know, even if you don't, those moments of 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 discovery or of kind of finding like, oh, you know, this this is showing me a life outside the kind of straitjacket of my own experience. Um, because we all have some, you know, we, we all have yeah. one of those, I think, or almost all, you know, we all grow up in some context that's, you know, that's limited. And then you discover that there are other ways of looking at the world that might be available to you too. And it's incredible. So, yeah. yeah. And know, it's Joe. the conversation. And the, that's what's great about a book because the conversation was had in what, 1957 for On the Road. But that conversation yeah. came to me in the 1990s, you know, and it's just like, the, the, the it's a spiritual 
quest. It's weird. It's how it's, it's just mind boggling how that comes together. Yeah, it is. It is really mind boggling. And, and, and it's, um, but you know, that phrase that you just used for it, <laughs> spiritual quest, which is one of those things that, I mean, that's what it is, right. You know, and I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing that, 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 that that's possible in the 21st century, right. That, that we can even undertake spiritual quests, but, but, but we can, you know, that's, that's what, that's what, you know, finding, you know, novels or films or, or, you know, do they still call them records? Uh, you know, that's I do. I go to the record store. Yeah, no, me too. <laughs> Amoeba's open back up. I, I spent about two hours just flipping through the, um, through the stacks at Amoeba. I haven't been, I haven't been to the new location yet. I'm dying to. It's cool. Um, I, yeah. I, it was, you know, cause we, we've been living in a time of like escalated stress for, for a while. Yeah. And when I was at that amoeba, I just I went back to a, to a version of myself as I was finding little gems and I was filling up my basket, and I was it was just it was almost like I went to a monastery in Tibet and just cleared my whole soul out. It just it, there was just some and I was just like, and I was so happy that it's open, you know. And the cashier was checking me out, and I'm like you have no idea what this means to me. <laughs> you know, I'm just yeah. like, they're looking no. at me like, yeah, okay, middle-aged man. I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> it's a big, it's a big thing. I was spending, I, um, I got kind of, I mean, this is again, I'm going to, I'm going to really render myself a generational cliche, but I got, you know, kind of back into buying vinyl again over the last few years. And uh, especially, you know, right before the pandemic, um, my, my, you know, then, fiance now wife and I moved in together and she moved she moved all of her records in which just sent me off on this kind of like frenzy of like oh you know like we're gonna have a real like a real fucking vinyl record collection together um and um and then you know the the pandemic like there was just that moment where I was like god damn like I can't just go like record shopping it was killing me yeah uh, I mean again that talk about Talking about first world responses to all world problems, uh, but you know, but I did, I did feel the loss of that among, along with many much more acute ones. Well, it's it's the it's the even though it is a first world problem, it is the way we're trying to find the like the 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 meaning, the higher meaning of sorts in a way. Yes, that's right. All right. Good night. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was thinking about your Jerry Maguire experience. Cause there, there's a beauty to that too, where you, you know, we, uh, back in the day, if you saw a bad movie, you're like, I can't wait to get home and watch Netflix and turn on the, and turn on my comfort food. But right. uh, you know, now, but, but back then it was like, I have to go to another theater and get this movie off of my radar. Right. And it's just, and you go into a theater, you know, I, I had the same Tom Cruise experience. I didn't become a Scientologist, but I had a real, I had a kind of a, um, I had a bad roommate situation when I was first in Los Angeles. And so I had to get out during the day and I didn't have a lot of money. And I was walking by the Vista and there was a Tom Cruise movie playing. And I'm like, Oh God, but I just needed some air conditioning. So I'm just like, all right. And I think it was called the edge of darkness or something. It's the one where he keeps like um, reliving the same day or I, I forget what it's no, called. No, I don't, th I don't think I know. I don't even think I know. I walked is. in there and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to suffer through a Tom Cruise movie. Cause I just need a little, you know, I just need something and air conditioning at the same time. And I loved the movie. I walked out of there going, 
oh crap that was good i went and saw it again like later that oh, week no, I, I, I you know I'll, I'll be i'll be you know very real with you here which is that a you know tom cruise uh he has been involved in a lot of good movies and, and i think yeah. he actually was in a particular there was a particular window which i think started with jerry Maguire, but you know jerry Maguire and eyes wedge shut and uh, magnolia you know yes. the very obvious moment when he sort of decided that he was going to kind of push himself a little as an actor or you know open up a kind of window for himself to do things that weren't that weren't uh you know weren't just kind of like ordinary star turns um that um you know that i mean that was particular that was a, a particularly productive era for him but you know look i mean you know no joke i mean he's he's obviously made some some not so wonderful movies what of which one could say that about just about any right just about any actor with a long career but but uh but i also think you know i mean he's good man he's he's done a lot of, you know he's 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 made a lot of made a lot of good movies. Um, it was more I was I was more alluding that to the you know there to the sort of uh, to the fact that I wasn't it wasn't like you know oh I'm so excited to see this Tom Cruise movie it was I was right. I was, I, was, I walked in there skeptically, um, but I think you know and, and and I think there were a lot of other things that went into that too. That was sort of the you know the kind of moment when studio movies were leaning a lot harder towards. You know, they they were just kind of starting to dig into franchises and IPs in a in a in a sort of serious way. Um, you know, it wasn't it was not you know there was no Marvel extended universe yet, but but there were you know there were sort of like the summer Bruckheimer action yeah. movies and the big sort of corny Farrelly Brothers type comedies and right yep. and there was it, everything felt very narrow and so to sort of walk in and see a movie that was sort of like character driven and and you know, somewhat modeled as that movie is on Billy Wilder's The Apartment. Like, you know, there was there were a lot of things about, you know, I mean, I think Jerry Maguire is, is a is a, a flawed, but but, you know, kind of still delightful and and uh, and uh, interesting movie, you know, uh, I just but, I saw The Apartment for the first time in my life, like two weeks ago. Oh, my God, dude. Yeah. I oh, it was so good. Oh, my it's, God. So good. it's so good. Oh, my God. It's yeah. I mean, Billy Wilder was. You know that that Billy Wilder had that run in the fifties, right? You know the apartment, Ace in the Hole, Sunset Boulevard, like that was that was almost untouchable. Yeah. yeah. Did you write? Did you write? Did you say something about the apartment in the book? Because that may I have did, been. Yeah, like, I, I think that was the reason I watched it because I was just like, wait, what is that? And I watched it. Yeah, I think uh, I can't remember if I did or I didn't, but I but I know I'm alluding to. I know I know that he, during the when I talk about Al, Hal Ashby kind of running a straight flush in the, in the late set, you know, in the seventies. And I think I compare it to, uh, you know, to Wilder in the fifties to being yeah. sort of probably run of, you know, just great, great movies. Yeah. What's and then the other, well, going back to Tom Cruise, because this is what the whole show's about. Um, yeah. It's no, that when you see, when you see Jerry Maguire now, you probably get the sense of that day walking in the east side of uh, New York City, you, it brings you back to that moment in time. And there's a romance yeah. to that. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You know, but that, but, that, but I mean, look, that's, that's another thing that, that books and, and movies do for you. And, and, and music too, of course, is, you know, they, they, fix, they fix moments in time, right? In, in, a, in a very specific way. Not always, but you know, you just there are certain certain experiences you have where you think, oh, I remember walking into a theater and boom, 
you know, yeah. I remember reading this book for the first time and like where I was and how old I was and, you know, all that sort of crazy shit. That, uh, that, yeah. No, yeah. it's like even the, um, we were talking about the walking into a movie theater. We, we couldn't get Lars von Trier's The Kingdom series in the United States for so long. And yeah. you can only get it on 35 millimeter and yeah. indie theaters would show it for eight hours two, two, yeah. four, and you'd, and you'd get a lunch break. <laughs> it was just like, and that's how I saw the kingdom was, uh, and it was, and I loved that series so much. You know, I just thought it was this really long film and it's just, it was just, it was like, that's how we had to seek out the kingdom. Now you can get, get it, uh, you know, on DVD. And such. I, my, my, my Lars, my first Lars von Trier experience was seeing breaking the waves oh, in a theater yeah. in Paris. Um, and um, so what was weird was that, uh, you know, I was, I was, it was Christmas day, uh, 19, I guess that would have been, was that 1995, 96, somewhere in there, right, 95 yeah. maybe. But um, wherever it was, it was like, I just remember being completely disoriented by, you know, by seeing this movie in a, in a, in a theater, you know, the, with subtitles, even though the movie itself was in English. Uh, you know, so it was, it, it was just, it was like a very confusing, like a, there, were, there were kind of layers of disorientation around that that were really trippy. Are you also talking about how, because seeing an English movie in Paris, like I, the, with the times that I did, I completely forgot that I was in Paris. You're sitting there and you're watching the movie and it's an American film and you yeah. walk outside and you're like, oh wait, nobody speaks English here. <laughs> I, I think I was, I think for me, it was a kind of double jointed where it was like, you know, the, the movie itself was very clearly not an American film, yet it was in English, yet it was subtitled in French, um, you know, and yet I was, you know, so I was kind of, it made me kind of like conspicuously, it, it kind of like, there was a kind of like double, double bonus alienation, you know, on top of the fact that, that you know, Von Trier is pretty, is pretty fucked up uh, to begin with. So it was, it was really... <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that guy, a, that guy, he's got, he's got genius in him. And then at the same time, you're just like, Oh, really, dude? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. There's definitely, there's a lot of that. Yeah. A lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, man. It's a huge pleasure. You know, always, always, a, always a delight to talk to you, man. Always. Every chance, every chance
Listening to 101.9 FM, KPCR LP, Santa Cruz. <laughs> 